All right, uh, this is Joe and Lisa Duty here, back with another Pain and Joy podcast here, Life Lessons Behind the Lens. How are you doing, Lisa? I am doing pretty good. And we are with Jamie Smith, current positions with Social Fabric Collective. Uh, am I saying that right, Jamie? Yeah, Social Fabric Collective. And hi, Lisa. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk with you. Absolutely. Yeah, I have, uh, I've known in Margie for quite some years now. I think we first met in 2011 at the J. Mizell workshop. And, uh, yeah, in New York. Yeah, and uh, just a fabulous time in my life. It's like 10 days that I'll never forget. And, you know, I, I become the, uh, you know, familiar with you and your work as uh, when you were working there with Jay. So uh, just wanted to have you on the show and uh, see kind of, so, Jamie, tell me a little bit about uh, where you are in your photographic journey today. Yeah, so, well, let's see. It's interesting. I, I kind of come full circle. Um, I am born and raised in Palo Alto, California in the 1980s and 90s, so right in the middle of the digital revolution when this crazy thing was happening and there was the largest creation of jobs and wealth and human history around me I think as any kind of normal kid um, that didn't really register with me you know it wasn't it didn't occur to me that I was witnessing all of that history it was more just kind of like well this is my neighborhood and the situation I'm in is quote unquote normal uh, and one of the things uh, about the public schools in Palo Alto that I do vividly remember was they encouraged art and creativity and we had field trips to the cultural center and we would walk past the fire station the public pool the tennis course through some redwoods by the main library and that was all in about five minutes so you really get a sense of a walkable space that what this community valued and as a kid i don't think you really register all that stuff um now i am um teaching high school students and so it's starting to kind of come back full, full circle and you start to realize oh yeah that's that's where I what I thought was normal that was kind of unique and that's the source of how my identity or kind of the way that I perceive things in the world around me so photographically I didn't start taking pictures until I was in college and I had a great mentor Richard Ross um, after college I moved to Pennsylvania where I live now northeast Pennsylvania and I family roots that go back to before the American Revolution here and spent a lot of time in the summer. Uh, I worked as a, you're a journalist yourself and um, it's a tough way to crack a nut, a very hard way to make a living these days and sure. it was also 20 years ago but I started out as a full-time assistant at a commercial studio doing all the exciting things like painting a psych wall and processing film and scanning digitals and loading the lighting equipment and all, all of that kind of stuff. And then after about a year of that, I started taking more and more freelance assignments working for the paper, which was fascinating. It's just a great way to get out into the community and figure out your place in the world. Every day is a different assignment. It could be sports, politics, spot news, crime, you know, all these sort of things that really learns Sorry, it really teaches you how to adapt and kind of uh, if you like variety and, you, and you're and you up for that, it's, it's a great position and way to kind of learn about the world around you. And so I love local news. It just was not um, uh, financially a long-term stable way right. to make a living. Uh, 
um, I went out to California and I did some more work for newspapers and editorial stuff and got involved with um, trade organizations like American Society for Media Photographers. Uh, and I met uh, Seth Resnick and his wife, Jamie Spritzer, who um, that kind of opened me up into digital. So when I was in Pennsylvania, the deal was that it was sort of, uh, the joke about how to get to Northeast Pennsylvania is you get on Interstate 80 and you go back 20 years, right? <laughs> um, right. So in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, the way it worked was you would get an assignment and uh, they would supply the film. You I was freelance, so it was work for hire and you supplied your own equipment. Mm -hmm. You would go out and take the pictures. Uh, you would come back, process the film, and you would scan it. So I wasn't I wasn't one of the old, old school guys who was then making a wet print and laying it out with an X-Acto knife, right. but I wasn't quite, you know, doing this thing where you just FTP it and who knows if you ever actually have human contact with your editor. Right. <laughs> um, so that, that was a, a great chance to see how other photographers worked and just that social interaction in, in the newsroom you'd come in. Um, when I moved to San Diego and I showed my portfolio around, it was it was kind of um, oh this is great work do you have a digital camera no okay call us when you get one so for me going to digital was like jumping into the deep end and um, I wasn't particularly and I'm still not one of those people who you know Ansel Adams said the most important part of the camera is eight inches behind it exactly right? between the so, ears <laughs> that's a good quote but as, as a as a group you know, we photographers in general sometimes get a little more bogged down in the technical minutia than others. And that wasn't what I enjoyed about photojournalism and photography. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find a way of how do I, it, it was necessity. It was, all right, I want to do this. I need a digital camera to do that. So Seth Resnick and Jamie Spritzer started doing, they started coming called D65 and they went around the country really before most other people were doing this and teaching a technical classroom, here's how to download your files, what to name them, what format to use. That's really where I got my technical education. Okay, all right. And I stayed in touch with Seth and I moved to um, Pennsylvania a couple of years later and my wife and I, his girlfriend at the time, were, um, I was helping Seth with a workshop in Philadelphia and New York City and when he said, oh, let's go down to my friend Jay Mazel's bank building. And um, I, I think I had probably walked by it, um, I, I want to say, 10 years before when I was visiting my sister. She went to NYU. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we go to the side entrance and uh, the dog's there and Jay's there. And, you know, we go up that elaborate copper birdcage elevator. Right. And, um, so I didn't go in the main room the first time I ever went to the bank building. I just went in that little side hall. Mm -hmm. And we went and, you know, Seth and Jay were chatting and we went to the kitchen and sat with his wife. And, and um, you know, it was, it was something kind of along the lines of, um, well, you know, nice meeting you. And six months later, I moved to New York and I was assisting for people. Um, we just made the jump had a little savings, had no apartment, stayed with a friend, had no jobs. And uh, after about six months, I think I had been assisting and kind of working around in the city and put a message 
reached out to friends and said, does anybody know they're looking for help? And um, so I, I uh, went to have lunch with Jay one day. And that's the first time that I went to the main door and you, the doors slide open and there's that basketball hoop and it's kind of like, you know, there's 19 <laughs> foot ceilings and just egg and dart all, just, you know, Mexican mahogany wood and uh, mosaic tile floors. It just, uh, you know, you can see I'm kind of a, uh, I don't know about appreciation, but I have an attraction to nostalgia and old things. And uh, so for me, that was, again, that sense of like, wow, this is a really interesting environment. And um, we went to lunch and he, you know, asked me kind of what I was interested in, what I was working on. And and then he said, well, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a couple of people working for me right now, but let me buy you lunch. And uh, then he reached into his coat, he didn't have his wallet. <laughs> so, so, I've heard, uh, I've heard that. You can buy lunch, and uh, <laughs> I don't think I saw him for another six months or so. So it was um, just something that kind of, you know, I ran into him at a, some kind of a photo salon or event another six months later. So started working part time, and um, wow, and the end of two thousand seven is when he kind of. Uh, I think he'd done some in the early 80s, but that's when he revamped uh, at the end of 2007 and we did the first workshop, as, as I guess as you would know it, at the bank building. Yes. And um, So for about two years, I was a full-time assistant. It's real easy to get all the credit and it's really easy to figure <laughs> out who's to blame. And um, <laughs> exactly. you're juggling a lot of things. You're having to learn about the heating system in a 110-year-old building and sweeping the sidewalks and doing the printing and downloading the phones. You know, it's just kind of, it was just a fascinating immersion. And of course, the building and Jay's, is just his philosophy and just learning through osmosis, you know, right. and keep me away and call and say, you know, could you fix this? And, oh yeah, I need a screw for that. And okay, we'll go up to the fifth floor, go in the third room, hang a left. You see a blue cabinet on the right, go down to the fourth drawer, open that up, and there should be a two-inch <laughs> screw in there. Now that's, that's, how, wow. that's so, so Jay. how his mind works. And to, to learn from, from somebody like that, um, yeah. again, in terms of uh, visually, um, artistically, in terms of organization, in terms of business, uh, you know, he, he definitely would tell you he's not big into the technical stuff either. And all those flat file caps, Peace and Stephen, Peace and Stephen Wilkes' movie, Jay Myself, about Jay and moving out of the building. And Jay talked about, um, you know, at one point he, he thought he couldn't find things and he told his doctor, I have Alzheimer's. And the doctor said, well, like, well, how many drawers do you have at home? And he said, well, I don't know, I'll go count. And he came back and I was like, thousands he says it in the movie I can't remember it's four or five thousand but like thousands of drawers and uh, so I firmly believe that if if Jay were more you know, let's say my or your generation um, just the way he organized the flat files physically and the way he had his slides archived I think he would have he would have done it digitally and right. um, and so you know you could really see the, the method and the uh, thoughtfulness and the intelligence of uh, how his mind worked and 
I would have applied over different generations with different technology. Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I remember walking into the bank building for the first time, and it was like I just stood there in awe. You know, well, I mean, yeah. the only time I was there, it's 2011, yeah, I think. And uh, anyway, it was just, you know, you could tell he was so methodical. And, you know, even in uh, just the little stuff from the printing and all of it, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing thing to see. Well, I can tell you another funny story about, you know, um, I think it's very hard to separate his identity, the building and himself, but Mm -hmm. uh, after the documentary uh, premiered in New York City, they worked out a a thing where they could have a reception Mm -hmm. at the bank building, which had, at that time, they were renting out, I don't know, it was a pop-up store, a boutique clothing store, and they had kind of these little things laying around and... um, you know, I have an old fireman coat, and I was wearing it. And uh, so I went down to the basement. I was kind of looking around to see what, what it looked like all these years later. And some salesman came up to me holding a fireman coat, and he said, oh, did you know, like, these are really popular right now. And so he flips over the price tag, and he's like, yeah, I got this one. It's only $2,500. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So I said, so for you today, if you want this one, you know, you give me two. Interesting 
things happening. It might be in your neighborhood, it might be in your house, it might be in your bathroom. But exactly. you gotta, that learning to look and see things and appreciate things, everyday objects, light, all of that, I got, I got that from Jay. You know, I, I can sincerely believe that, you know, that, that week I spent there with y'all totally changed my life, you know, from, uh, and, and basically that's what, you know, we're now teaching and um, have been for a year after that we started, but uh, I started at that point. And, and that's kind of what inspired me to teach because he, he, he y'all, the whole group changed my life in, in a week. I can only imagine getting to study under this guy for 10 years as unique as his vision was, you know, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, you would pinch yourself. I mean, it, it has challenges, certainly, you know. Um, and I think I struggled early on with some of that kind of um, thinking like, oh, well, there's this new technology, and, you know, if you use it, and, and, and he would just say, you know, you got to ask yourself, are you, you know, is this technology changing photography? Yes. Yes. Is it improving your photography? Not necessarily. It can, you know, tools are tools. They can they can take you in different creative directions, but it's not a guarantee that just because you're using something newer, you're going to get something better. Exactly. Um, uh, so he would embrace and use new digital cameras, and he loved the fact that he could shoot um, at high ISO and do things at night that he could never do with film. When he started, I think film was like ASA, you know, 25 or something crazy. Right. So, so he... he was this, you know, he wasn't going to be pinned down into any, he was going to be long, he was open-minded about addressing that. He, you know, like all of us, we struggle with to change and adapt, and once we get comfortable with something, and now you're kind of making me move around and try something new, but um, <laughs> he stayed open-minded about so many things. Oh, I sure. think that, you know, that, that helped me um, now that I'm, so I moved back to Pennsylvania after, um, it became clear he was selling and we, we weren't going to be doing workshops anymore and figured, okay, well, I would like to kind of take what I've learned and pour in a little bit of my background from California and from Santa Barbara and Seth's stuff and on workflow and Jay's stuff was hugely interesting. And, and just as a kid, again, back to that influence of... Um, spending time here in the summer and the history of this area. So I'm working with uh, an age demographic where access to a camera and a computer, um, you know, I started when I was 19, so I'm working with kids who are a little bit younger. I'm giving them a little bit more of a head start. I'm working with kids from 20 different schools. So they're all taking these cameras home, seeing what their school, church, friends, family, nature, what their neighborhood looks like, and then they bring it back, and as they learn about themselves, what they're looking at, what they're interested in, they're seeing eight or nine perspectives. I think that's another thing that Workshop did, is we had people from 35 countries, and right. not all of them were like you, yeah, not all of them were full-time making their living as a photographer, but everybody brought something to the table, and you realize, well, that collaborative atmosphere. What I was saying is, you know, I, um, through producing and watching Jay teach was so influential on my vision of what I'm doing now in 
terms of working with an age demographic that can't really, um, in terms of working with an age demographic that photography is something that they might have access to financially is kind of a hurdle. So we provide them all the same camera, same computer software, and the technical stuff, we kind of help them bring that along. Um, it's in an area where the average family of four makes $30,000 a year. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, that's very different than the workshop. The age demographic is different, but a lot of the core vision is, again, having people from different backgrounds learning about themselves and developing empathy and learning about other people. And you that's, that's what the power of photography can do. It is. It can connect people. You know, it is so. That is so weird that you say that because I. I was just telling Lisa, uh, right before this phone call, that a biggest part of what I enjoyed about the class. It, it was a week. I do have a funny story about Jay, but a big part was you know all these people from like you said all these different areas and stuff and just the everybody being a like-minded you know wanting the same thing wanting to better their photography and wanting to you know learn more and this everybody throwing that the energy was just so amazing with that group you know and i think that's classic jay i mean every once in a while you would get somebody who uh well, let's judge who had the best photo today. And, you know, Jay didn't go for that. Right. He just said, you judge yourself against yourself. And the rest of the people, uh, if you have a question, you ask it in front of the group. Yeah. Then, if there's an answer or if there's a thought or somebody else has another solution, everybody benefits from that. And it's, it's a collaborative attitude. I think it's what the world is looking for. People are have grown tired of this us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Um you know, photojournalists versus commercial photographers, photographers versus writers, my town versus your town, you know, that divisive, I was looking at a Gallup poll today that um, people in America, their trust for the news media was around 60% in the early 1970s, and it's steadily just kind of gone down to now it's about 40%. Wow. And, you know, so I think people are looking for authenticity, and they... You know, Jay might have had this persona that he was going to be a tough critic, but really I think what it was is he felt like, I'm charging a lot of money and I'm not going to rip you off by patting on the back. And I always use that Oscar Wilde quote that friends stab each other in the front. In other words, (laughs) to make sure you get your money's worth, I'm going to tell you what I honestly think. It is a criticism of your work. It's not a criticism of you as a human being. Some people have a hard time separating those two if their work is really, really personal. Um, but in the end, that I have a funny ability of him to be, you know, I don't want to say hard on people, but just honest with people. I'm well, going to tell you what I think, and it's, you know. You know, that that is that's classic Jay, you know, and... and you know, after I got back, I studied his work for, for you know, forever, still do to this day. But, uh, you know, just to validate that, you know, <laughs> the the story that I tell was like the first couple of days I had a problem, you know, adjusting my mentality to this high ISO. And, uh-huh. you know, he, he'd sent us out on assignments and, of course, we'd come back and we'd have our, you know, group talks and look at the images and critiques and stuff. And... So the first day, uh, you know, 
I couldn't quite make it work in my mind, you know, on the second day I come back and I think I'd changed some of my images instead of shooting at the 1600 ISO, which he had projected, I dropped it down to like 400 and 200, you know, I'm shooting in the day and, you know, basically wide open and everything. But the, the thing he was trying to convince us of was the sharpness of it at that point. And, uh, well, why do you think uh, you were reluctant to try it? I have an idea, but I, I'm, I wonder what you think. I, I think it was just, uh, you know, basically it was totally outside the box. And, you know, I'd shot wide open uh, aperture-wise for, for years just to get that subject separation, you know. And I just, at that time, I didn't see a high need for it. And so, you know, I remember coming in and, and he said, what ISO did you shoot that at? And we're all at the table, you know, all 10 or 12 of us, I remember. And uh, he says, I said, well, I, I think I think my answer was 400. It was something way below what he had suggested. And uh, he says, so let me ask you a question. You pay me good money to be in this class, did you not? And I said, yes, sir. He says, well, can you just try it my way? And it was like, you know, I mean, just that classic honesty. I mean, he, he didn't pull any punches, you know, but I did. Well, here's my theory on it. And... If you think about it, you came from the world of photojournalism where where there's a lot of pressure to get that shot. Yeah. It's not going to happen again, and you don't necessarily celebrate mistakes. Yes, sir. And, you know, Jay may be coming at more from, I, I, I might try something, and I might mess it up, but the mess up might be something that I otherwise wouldn't have tried. And, yeah. you know, I think, yeah. I, I think that goes back to that. Are you more interested in your pixels or your pictures? So when people would tell him, well, if you shoot at a highest, oh, you know, the, the noise level is going to be higher. And, um, and he would say, yeah, but I get a picture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? I have content. Um, yeah. You know, so it goes back to, you know, it's, 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 there's some craft involved in it, too. So there's some appreciation for technical quality and things like that too if you can get a good quality file and get the emotion of the image you want but you look at a lot of the Pulitzer Prize winning photographs they're not all tack sharp they're not all in focus right and that's because there's something about the image that resonates with people there again it's that human connection and I, I think that's very much about you know kind of Jay's philosophy well, he he was definitely, you know, I mean, it still is, and, you know, I, I hold him up there, uh, you know, his, just the way he looks at things, like you were saying, it was just so different than anything I had ever known, you know, I felt like I was in a total different world, and, uh, well, I was, you know, and, you know, you, know, you have to, sorry, you have to take into consideration his background as well, right, I mean, he, he went to a Jewish school that taught a lot of discipline Mm -hmm. and he had Leon Friend who rewarded kids who came early and stayed late and wanted to do graphic design and um, he had mentors like um, Joseph Hirsch, a painter, and uh, Joseph Albers at Yale doing color and he had, uh, he he, in grad school he worked under Buckminster Fuller doing geodesic domes and you know, so what's the common thread with all those people? None of them are teaching him photography. Right. All of them are teaching him different ways to think about color, composition, light, mm. um, content, and 
I think if you let your curiosity drive you, you're, you're going to find what it is you want to say versus if you, you know, writers, when somebody writes something really moving, your first mm-hmm. question is, it, oh, what, what version of Microsoft Word do you think they were using when they're operating <laughs> this? You know? Um, right. It's a story, and, and so I, I think if you look at Jay's background, the influences were, were far more creative than necessarily technically photography, and he'll tell you, you know, I stumbled and bumbled and picked myself up and tried this, and, you yeah. know, that's just the kind of... It's cliche, but you know, it's failure part of the process. Um, and so, in the workshop, when you when you would get people who came from a world or a profession where they're a heart surgeon or something like that, where it's not like, oh, I'll just try this and see if it works or not. I mean, that's life and death. So <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Exactly. Those people had a little bit hard time switching gears with the mentality of like, try this. It's a it's a machine. It's a tool. If you try hanging swinging this hammer and you don't like the way it hits the nail try this hammer, you know, and um, whereas other people said, well, no, I was I was taught to use this hammer and always use this hammer and um, just, you know, such a curious nature to say, well, why, what would happen if I tried this, you know? He had no plan when when some printer would die and, he, you know, we'd take it up to the fifth floor and he was going to take it apart and what, he had no idea what kind of shapes or, you know, he had a whole room full of things that looked like faces, you know. Yeah. <laughs> those were all, all those little, his little ransom notes were letters and things that were shapes he had pulled out of some wheel or cog or some something that he had found on the street. And uh, but he was able to be open minded about what what else could this represent? What else does this look like? Uh, yes, and I remember we got to go up there at one point and go through the. You know, got to go through all his little rooms there and on the tour type thing, and I was blown away. I've, I've got a few images that resonate in my mind about like a glove sticking up inside of a fishbowl filled with marbles and stuff like that. You know, and I just yeah, you know, this guy's mind was just a sponge. You know, it's amazing. Well, the fifth floor in a way was really, I, I think he was he's able to do very complex layered photographs he's also very he's very accomplished at doing in some ways which is harder simplistic photos or even minimalistic photos mm-hmm. um, that get their point across because there's not a bazillion things to look at and distracting you but the fifth floor I think was really just kind of like Geppetto's workshop for him there was no deadline he could start a project he could open something up or be sanding something in the wood shop and go away for a week or work on another project for a month or let the dust settle and then pick it up and see what the shape of the dust was. You know, the fifth floor was just a big playroom. Yes, science lab, if you will, photographic science lab or something, yeah. And some people struggle with that too. They they wanted they wanted a hard and fast rule. They wanted a what's the meaning and purpose of all this. And one of my favorites was a woman who, you know, said to me, well, there's a lot of stuff in here, and like, who, who, who's the? When does the cleaner come? How often do they come? Who does the dusting? And I said, well, you know, you bought the building in 1966. To my knowledge, there, there's, there's not a cleaner. And then, and then she, oh, no, no, I know, but like, so when does the cleaner come? And it was like, it just, it was not. Um, Could not wrap around it. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, 
you know, some people got Jay and other people, different parts, they, they didn't. Right. Well, you obviously did, Jamie, and um, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more, you know, I know Jay is a major influence in your life again, as you've just said, and, um, you know, you just tell us about your teaching. Everybody. Tell me a little bit about your teaching and, and uh, what, you know, what you're hoping to accomplish and, and maybe a story of, of something that's worked for you. Sure. Uh, well, it's about five questions. Um, what Sorry. does teaching do for me? Well, first of all, I think it's Richard Bach. He has a quote, you know, that we teach what we most want to learn. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that uh, the workshops for older people, I work with younger people, but uh, yeah, I think sometimes we get stuck in a, in a thought process of, um, I'm really interested in how everybody sees the world and what they can learn from each other mm. and how they can influence each other. So the old model of teaching where the teacher is got all the information, they're going to lecture you and you're going to absorb and you're going to regurgitate back um that that i guess that didn't really speak to me as much as the educational experiences i had where it was more try this experiment with this you know Uh, and i think learning happens when people are more engaged and they're given uh, a little bit more ownership or agency Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um I, I don't, in particular, with the high school students I have, we will discuss what's interesting to them. And so the variety and who they are is probably one of the more rewarding and fascinating things for me. So we've done semesters where they find out that a couple of them are interested in becoming doctors. And so then we did a whole thing on um, cancer awareness and origami and photographing people coming to this arts festival and teaching them how to fold origami with a message about cancer awareness. We've done things on food dignity. 18% of the population where I live is food insecure. Well, what does that mean? And beyond just saying, let's all bring in a piece of canned food that you know nobody's wanted that's been in your pantry for a year, um, let's go out to the Baptist church where there's a food pantry and figure out what do people need. Turns out they need translators. Oh, wow. Who in this group wants to be a Spanish teacher or a translator? You can get a little glimpse of what your future might be and photograph and talk and work with somebody who's hungry and there with their kid and having trouble reading this form that's in English. You could help stock the shelves. You could, you know, there's lots you can do. And hmm. um, so it really becomes uh, a lot about their emotional intelligence and how they feel about themselves, how they feel empowered, how the camera helps them realize that their their opinion matters and that they have a say in terms of, you know, there's this big buzzword now in a lot of circles of resiliency and why would uh, nature versus nurture and two kids from the exact same neighborhood, same demographics and socioeconomic status, why all of a sudden does one succeed and one kind of get stuck and, and um, so they're using a camera for things like that, but then they're also using it, what interests you? I don't don't know, do you go to church and is there a baptism? Do you play volleyball? We've had several students, um, the last presidential election because of this area, lots of visits from candidates. So we've had students and they'll go to 
They went to Trump rallies. They went to Bernie Sanders rallies, Joe Biden. So they've gone to all these different rallies and to look at the different viewpoints, even though some of them aren't old enough to vote, they're still very engaged. And so I'm trying to help them see the value in their opinion. And in turn, they might not have a lot of money, uh, but they have time, they have talent, and they have energy, and their photographs can be an educational tool for the entire community to learn about these things. Like um, we've done, we did things with uh, bird migration. We did things. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of is interesting to see what pops up. A lot of the technical stuff I could do blindfolded with my hands behind my back, and so mm-hmm. that's much more predictable. It's important, and we they do get technical skills and for people or some things like career pathways, you know, there is some of that training. Um, the thing I've found that they're more engaged in really is who they are, mm. what they want to do, why that matters. Well, that's, and, that's true life you know, lessons behind the lens right there. That is true. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's and that, the, the things that they have photographed and have access to um, would astonish you. Um, you know, yeah. Your work would probably blow them away, but, you know, like, what's it like to be a 15-year-old teenage girl these days? And right. if you and I go to a park and I don't have my daughters with me and we just start taking pictures, well, guess what? The police show up in two seconds, you know? Right, yeah. They're, they're you know, they're less threatening. And, and so where there might be situations where there's still inequality and um, they might be intimidated, um... There are other situations and things that they have access to. And so we try to kind of like get them to appreciate those things, again, that are around them that, that they have access to that other people don't, that are, you know, your family. Um, we also try to do field trips. One of the things about being in an area like where I am, it's, it's kind of medium sized. So we have the AAA affiliate for the New York Yankees. Oh, wow. And we have the AAA um, Pittsburgh Penguin hockey team. So mm-hmm. we will partner them up with professional photojournalists that um, do those things on a daily basis and then they get a press credential and they get to go see what what, what that kind of, you know, maybe a much more intimidating thing, but you you know, that gives them a little peek into that world as a professional photojournalist yeah. um, versus write about what you're photographing, think about um, what you've learned about the other people in this group. I think that's how you build community is spending time and trying to we have group critiques just like at Jay's workshop so every week they are learning to do public speaking in front of a group of their peers to explain what it is you're photographing or listening this is what I was trying to do but as I sit here and listen to my peers tell me what they're seeing I'm realizing that the message is getting lost or they're seeing some angle that I'd like to pursue that I hadn't even noticed. Um, mm. So, you know, back to that camaraderie or, or connection that I think you might have felt that at the workshop, I mean, that, that kind of magic just, just happens by way of people interacting on a human level. It's a novel concept. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's kind of weird to me that somebody who grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley when I did... Um, yet I'm probably more naturally drawn toward the human connection side of photography than I am 
the megapixel side, if that makes sense. Sweet. Oh, That's perfect. really... I'm just loving to hear this story about the the group that you're working with, the Social Fabric Collective. And um, the question that comes to my mind is, wow, how can we start something like that in in our area? I mean, seriously, how did, is this yeah. a company that you started? And you're, you said you were working with 20 different schools, I think. And so yeah. do you have like uh, an after school thing where they get together or do you go to the different schools and during their um, free, you know, like sometimes they'll have like a flex period where they get to choose a club or something. Is that well, how you're doing there's a lot of different that? ways to skin a cat. I can tell you what I've done and tried and what has worked and not worked. Um, so for starters, uh, I had no experience uh, and I wanted to, I just, I wanted to do a nonprofit and so I started a nonprofit. I went around to various community people and said, "What do you think of this idea? Give them cameras, kind of see what they're seeing, acknowledge them, and and, and really try to involve them in the, in what's going on." And people said, "Oh, that's a great idea, but like, how in the world are you going to pay for it?" So I did go back down to New York and self-produce a bunch of different workshops mm-hmm. um, for adults, and they were more uh, similar format to what I'd done for Jay. He actually. Um, was a guest speaker at one, but instead of one photographer for five days, I had a couple of Susan Mizalis and uh, Dwayne Michaels and, and different people were very, you know, photographers are so generous to mm-hmm. support something, a mission like this because all of them obviously have been um, impacted by photography. And so sure. they were so generous and willing to give their time and, and help. So with that, I raised enough money to buy the computers and the cameras. So the financial hurdle was gone. The next thing I think you're asking is, gee, it sounds like such a great idea. Um, all you got to do is just kind of like put out your sign and the floodgates will, you know, they'll just be applications. And so a couple of the challenges, um, if you're interested in de facto segregation like I am, getting people from different neighborhoods and schools to learn about each other. Um, there are some challenges. Transportation is a big one. Mm. How the heck, I, I'm fortunate that I live and work in a small town and my studio is about 100 feet from a, from a public bus stop. Mm. Um, still there's a stigma, some kids don't use that, so you gotta figure out getting comfortable. But um, I chose to do it at my building because I wanted them, for the most part, to be in a group of people they don't know. So they're gonna learn about photography, they're gonna learn about eight or nine other people who may live 10, 15 minutes apart from them, but still live in another world. And if you go into one school, there still will be an experience. Um, But those kids all go to the same school, same cafeteria, walk through the same neighborhood. So in my mind, that was something I was really interested in going back to having people from 35 countries was that I I wanted people who didn't know each other to have a chance to meet some other people. Um, I have not found a perfect formula. Just tell the superintendent, principal, counselor, teacher. Um, It's a very complicated message. It's, it's, you know, if you go in there and just say, I'm just going to hand them a camera, you know, they might say, Oh, great. We, we don't have photography or we have a photo teacher, I'll tell the photo teacher. And then you miss all those kids who are 
like the ones who volunteered at the food pantry who are interested in becoming translators. You miss the kid. We've had Division One athletes. I've had kids who are homeless. I've had kids who are on the honor roll. Um, yeah. Again, you get into that diversion. Uh, you get into that diversity and inclusion angle, which just makes it such a far richer experience. So the, there are hurdles and challenges, but to answer your question more succinctly, the way that I came up with it is that we provided cameras. The scholarships are tiered so that uh, based on your family's income, uh, if it's below the average for the people in our area, it's free, and then it, it's a couple hundred dollars if you're in between average and double, and if it's above double, then it's a, it's a couple hundred more dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not come even close to funding the project, but that was based on the local leaders and people I talked to and looking at sports and dance and other activities that were available, that seemed to be a way to say, we, we want to include everybody, um, and we want to, those most in need, we want to give them the most help. Um, so they come once a week, it's mandatory, they're here for a couple hours, we, you know, we download and they get to edit their photos and keyword them, have a critique, um, a couple of weeks into the class, once I have a sense of who they are, I start bringing in guest speakers, and that could be a mix of photojournalists, artists. Um, you know, when we were doing the cancer thing, I brought in a neuro, uh, I brought in a brain surgeon. Um, so it really you try to pull out, okay, what are the things they're interested in, and, and then how can they explore it photographically. In terms of starting it in your own town, well, you know, I, I have to be candid, I have not found a way to fully fund uh, uh, salary and employees and all of that. I have done a couple of different sessions in the summer out in Petaluma, California, and also in Palo Alto. And so I think as I envisioned the program from the beginning, working with people from different schools, then we did different counties. Um, uh, Then I went out to California eventually, yeah, with funding. How awesome would it be to say, okay, you've been in the program for a semester and um, the kids who are really still engaged and show a commitment, maybe there'll be a travel component and you'll come out and be, you know, one of the counselors or uh, a participant and you'll get to see a different part of the country. Maybe it'll be done digitally with all this stuff going on with the COVID-19 stuff and people are getting more and more comfortable with Zoom and Google Meet and um, I, I still personally kind of like that uh, regularity and in human interaction, but you know mm-hmm. we we've got we all have to adapt. I miss that. She won't let me out of my front yard, given the <laughs> oh, yeah. you know yeah. given the constraints nowadays. <laughs> but uh, well, mm-hmm. you know, Jamie, um, I I just first want to say I I really appreciate you being on here. It sounds like uh, you're doing some really cool stuff, and uh, so is there a place where our viewers can find some of your work, or do you have a do you have a website or? Yeah, well, social oh, sorry, socialfabriccollective.org, mm-hmm. and then of course there's also a you know Facebook page, which is facebook.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, facebook.com slash socialfabriccollective, and Instagram is at socialfabriccollective. Um, Excellent. With, with schools going toward um, cyber right now, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a lot of talk about how great it is for a lot of the private schools because.
because they're able to do that. And one of the things I'm still kind of working on is uh, that's added a new challenge, right? Because we had solved that. They, all the students could come here and be level playing field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, as some of my students, you know, may or may not have this computer or that operating system, some of them might not have a cell phone or internet. And so, um, you know, Facebook and others, you know, we still use some of the social stuff. Um, but I, I think that's kind of a new, that's like a new challenge for us is to figure out, okay, is it laptops? Is it, you know, do they have their own equipment? Is it swapping out memory cards? And, you know, how do you keep, how do you keep connected? Mm. And this um, current global pandemic, mm. boy, it's, it's a challenge for everybody, isn't it? So, and, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, we're all we're all on new turf here and just trying to figure it all out. You know, I can only imagine, you know, the schools and, and you know, having to deal with, um, you know, we have a um, 13-year-old son, and so we're dealing with that on a daily basis as well. And I, I can't imagine being one of the facilitators of that at this time. And, you know, uh, but, you know, new ground yeah. leads for creative opportunity, you know, at, uh, you know, I, I feel like we'll adopt some of this program throughout this, but, um, you know, we'll see. Well, okay. Well, keep me posted if, uh, you know, if we do get something up and running or you got a student with a camera or two, maybe in the future we could figure out a way to connect them with the kids. You know, I'd love that, that to have the, the kids from different parts of the country all of a sudden uh-huh. start saying, hey, you know, I'm in touch with another photographer and... He's asking, "What the heck does Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, look like?" And I'm wondering, <laughs> right? All right. And I, I think that's how you build respect and acknowledgement is mm-hmm. let's figure out where we have common ground. You yeah. know, you have a family, you're photographing, you have a neighborhood. You know, let me see your, and then we can compare and contrast. Well, you know, gee, you have a different kind of tree, and we have black squirrels, and they don't. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I love and, that um, idea. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's how you. That's how you build relationships, and again, that's spending time and understanding other people. I, I really think that is key to so many things, whether it's economic or racial equality, but just respect and this this overwhelming sense that people have, from my perspective in the country, that people are divided and they're upset about things, and I think a lot of that goes back to, do you feel like somebody else respects you and um, acknowledges your point of view and mm-hmm. can, you, can you listen to their point of view without responding with personal attacks and you very, know very good point. And, and you be civil and disagree with people and, and then maybe build even more common ground very good point yes sir i think we can all learn something from that and and again i appreciate what you're doing and hey we appreciate you being on the show jamie and um you know thanks so much for sharing your your you know experiences with us oh yeah thank you so much for having and and doing this i know it's a lot of work and i appreciate you doing it i I hope you can edit at least two or three minutes or something worth listening to. <laughs> right. All right. We'll be able to get some good nuggets out of it. Thank you so much for All your right. time again and, and for your work with kids and uh, everything that you're doing. Sounds like you're on the yeah. right track. All right. Thanks a lot. I mean, last I'll just say, you know, 
meeting and interacting with people and had it not been for the workshop, I wouldn't know you. So that, so yeah, there's so many friends and people that I love and know and um, had it not been for photography, I probably would have never met them. 